Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Fantastic. Fantastic. You can uh, take a seat. Wonderful. Thank you, team. Great time together. Beautiful. Well, I thought it was warming up for summer, but sadly, it was three degrees again this morning. What's going on? Spring. Yes, that comes before summer, doesn't it? Forgot about that. (laughs) Wonderful. How are we all? Good, good. Good to see you all. So this month we've been... um, Oh, thank you. Thank you kindly. We've been... uh, Well, the last couple of months we've been journeying through the book of Joel. And uh, we've taken a few specific... Uh, themes out of that and uh, last month it was uh, repentance and when we just kind of uh, explored uh, the relevance and importance and the ongoing importance of uh, repentance and this month we're talking about restoration and I just want to revisit the scripture that we're coming out of just so that we've got a context this morning for this and so in Joel 2 25 to 27 so I will restore to you there's a restoration that God wants to bring to our lives. And maybe we don't even realize what we've lost. But so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, the great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Most translations have that word again in there. My people will never again be put to shame. And so this particular portion of scripture just really spoke to my heart about restoration and dealing with the shame and the things that try to uh, hold us prisoner of the past. And then next month we're going to be looking at renewed life, revival and refreshing that comes when we've repented and we've been restored. We've uh, never again been put to shame and we're able to embrace life with a fresh new vibrancy as we look forward and move forward. And so that's kind of the overarching uh, thinking behind where we are at the moment. And so it coincides this month, uh, Restored from Shame, coincides with uh, this month, uh, I think last week before last was uh, mental health week and so it's just timely for us to be able to have conversation around these sorts of things and themes and so uh, this morning we have the incredible privilege of having uh, a clinical psychologist with us uh, and I would like you to uh, welcome Greg Powell as he comes and joins me this morning. So Greg's going to be with us this morning, have a stool, and uh, we're going to be having a bit of a conversation. Ask, like, so I, I think, hoping that I'm going to be asking the questions. You're not going to ask too many searching questions of me, I hope. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But then, uh, and tonight, uh, Greg will be here as well, and we're going to open it up to the floor. So uh, any questions you, you might want to ask of uh, Greg tonight will be the opportunity for that. So let's uh, just begin by... Telling us a bit of your story, Greg, uh, who you are. Story? Um, look, I, I married my wife, Lauren's up the back. We've got four kids. We started with twins. Life is chaotic and out of control. Um, I've accepted that. I think that's the only option. Um, 
I, I, was a, I started off as a school teacher, primary school teacher, and then went into psychology uh, and have been working as a clinical psychologist for a while now. I, I'm not, I can't, I'm not sure. I'd have to count it up. Um, so I've run a practice up on the northern beaches in Monavale. Um, have been doing that for, for, again, for quite a while now. A practice for me is a little, um, I started off as a child and adolescent specialist. Um, but I probably spend 70 or 80 percent of my time now working with churches. We do a lot of psychological assessments. So for most mainline denominations now, they require anyone going into pastoral ministry to have a full psychological assessment as part of the process. Um, so we do that for a lot of the denominations up in New South Wales and um, around Sydney. And we've also been doing that for a long time for mission agencies. So again, a lot of overseas mission agencies require that. And on the back end of that, when things have gotten messy or people have been pulled off the field or crashed and burned, uh, we get involved in that. Uh, my own interest areas, I guess, are... My master's research was in burnout in ministry. <laughs> um, so using the National Church Life Survey leadership data and having a look at that. Um, I'm working on a been working on a doctorate for a long time, I'm sorry Lauren, um, but I'm getting there and we're close to the end. That's actually in parenting education for some unknown reason. Um, but that's the space that I work in, so I'm, I'm, I, I work, we run a clinic so we're working with people from the normal you know, population, the general population around us, but a lot of specialised referrals related to ministry and, and church related issues. Fantastic. And you're a member at C3 Oxford Falls? Yeah, so we've been at Oxford Falls for about 14 years now, I think. Um, so I grew up uniting. I married a Baptist. We went out C3. My brother's a missionary overseas. We're a bit of a, my family's a bit of a mixed bag, which is good. I really like it. Um, I love Oxford Falls. <laughs> um, and we've just got some great friends up there. You know, and, and for me, community and fellowship is really this, this key thing. You know, that, that's what, what I look for, that's what I need. Um, and so I've got some good connections up there. Wonderful. Okay, well, uh, that's a bit of background. Uh, when, when did you um, what, briefly describe your salvation experience? Uh, yeah, I'm one of those um, grew up in the church... I don't really know. If you, if you say to me, when did you become a Christian? I feel like I've always been one um, in the sense that I don't have a, a significant conversion experience. I mean, there's certainly been moments in my life where I've, uh, I, I guess I've had to transition developmentally. You know, I've had to make decisions for myself. So various um, youth camps or things like that um, where I, you know, had to kind of go, actually, what do I really think about this? Um, but, but honestly, when I think about my, my Christian life growing up, again, the thing that stands out to me is just, and, and I think this is common for most people, is that they're just people. It's more that there's set people that kind of came into my world that were very significant for a period of time. And it's almost like they took me from here to here. And then there was someone else that came into my life and they took me from here to here. But it's not like, a, it's not like this. 
because I don't even know what that looks like in the Christian journey. It's more like it's like this and then it was over here and then it's like here and here and then the older I get, the less I feel like I really know um, and understand. But, I'm, but again, I'm coming to peace with that. Um, I think there's a maturity in being okay with some of the things that are the mysteries. Absolutely. Beautiful. Okay, so where did you meet Lauren? Just by where? Yeah, we met um, at school. Okay. So we were both working at an independent Christian school. I was a school yeah. counsellor. She was a teacher. She had lots of issues, so... <laughs> she kept coming to see me. Um. <laughs> okay, well, we'll leave that one there. So, my first question to you, Greg, is are you a Christian psychologist or a psychologist that's a Christian? Okay, yes. I'm, I'm, I probably see myself as a psychologist who is a Christian. Um, and, the prob- and, and, and I say that because all of my training has been secular psychology training, but I really value it. I don't, you know, it's not like, it's not like I feel like it was this wasted, weird, kind of irrelevant education. Um, and, I, and I really do value the research and the evidence and the stuff that's there. Um, I'm a Christian and that goes back beyond, you know, and, and further than what I do in my job. Um, and to be honest, I've got to say, and actually before I even say anything else, I need to say to you, <laughs> I need to issue some, issue some disclaimers here. <laughs> um, because I... I I may say some things that you kind of like, you think, what on earth is he talking about? Um, And if I say something that offends you or you think is insensitive or you think, Greg, you just haven't really thought that through at all, um, I would encourage you to come and talk to me um, rather than carry that away. You know, like I'm, I'm conscious, I'm sitting up here and I'm introduced as a clinical psychologist. There are lots of psychologists out there. I'm not representing all clinical psychologists in the way that I speak and work because we are quite different. There's other psychologists here um, this morning. Um, and so if, you, if, if, and so what I, I don't want you to do is to go, well, I've met a psychologist and it was Greg and I don't like him and so I will never ever talk to a psychologist again. Um, so, um, but I am a little wary around the idea of a Christian psychologist only because um, I, I found it difficult to know what that means. And, and historically I've been a f- wary of sometimes what it has been or I've come across times where what it's meant is that it's a, a of people who have been psychologists but they've kind of twisted and modified bits and pieces into a uh, I guess what they perceive to be a Christian framework now my experience going through training is I haven't really had to do too much of that um, and so I, I, in the mental health field, I do get concerned when, from a church's point of view, we, we Christianise everything. Because then I th- I'm not sure what we're getting rid of. Um, and, and that just worries me a little bit. Um, so for me, I'm a psychologist who also happens to be a Christian. Cool. Yep. Lovely. Awesome. So can you give us some insights into the replacement? 
the relationship between God and mental health. It's this. <laughs> it's the way I see this is it's the same relationship. It's like saying what's the relationship between God and physical health or God and you know like I, I don't I, and again I, I think this is working for the church and doing a lot of work for the church is finding that I've got to advocate historically we've had to advocate a lot for mental health within churches um, you don't have to go back too far you could certainly go to you know Kurong and buy books around psychology being from the devil you know and um, and so I think for me, we're now at a point in time where we're not, no one's really debating the existence of mental health issues or mental illness. And the church is now getting there as well. Um, but it's been slower in that space. Um, and so, you know, how does God deal with mental health, mental illness? I think in the same way that God deals with people um, who are struggling in areas of their life. Um, doesn't matter what sort of illness it is. So what, as a church, could we be doing better in, in, in this area? Yeah, uh, good question. <coughs> Do you know, um, honestly, I think, I think there's probably a few things. Like I'm a very practical person, like very pragmatic. And if, if someone says to me, you know, I've got a friend who's depressed, what, how, what can I do to help? Uh, I think, well, what do they need? <laughs> you know, what is it that they need? And I, th I think we've got some good theological examples of this. Like I really like, you know, for example, the story of Elijah, um, you know, and, and basically this, you know, my brain works conceptually. Dates, numbers are hopeless. Ask my wife. I still don't know the date of birth of my own children. Every time I fill out a form, I have to ring her, um, and just before I write it down to double check. Um, so in Second Kings, I believe, um, is the story of Elijah, and after the you know the the fire coming down burning the altar, the Baal worshippers. We've got this section where we talk, he talks about, you know, basically we find him sitting under a bush saying, I'm done. <laughs> That's it. Take me out now. You know, like, life would be better if it was finished for me. Um, and in that space, it's really interesting to look at what the response is from God because there's no one else there. And we get this really practical response. You know, it's not, mate, where's your faith? Get up and keep going. We get this, you know, I think you're tired and I, I think you're hungry. Let me bring you some food. Let me help you to have a rest. Um, and, and, and then we have this ongoing story where we've got Moses kind of then going, you know, he heads up the mountain, he's in the cave there and there's this, we get this funny dialogue where the Bible talks about, you know, this crazy rushing wind, this storm, noise, all this sort of stuff. But it, but it always it says there was this massive, but God wasn't in that, you know. And then you get this part where it goes, and then there's this kind of still small voice, this gentle approach, you know, and that's where God was. 
And again, I look at that and I go, oh, that's really cool. This guy's, this guy's struggling. God doesn't come and kick his butt. Um, he actually helps him physically. And he's gentle with him. He's gentle. And then, and then Moses says, I don't, but I'm on my own. There's no one around me. <laughs> I'm on my own. And then God's response to him is, no, you're not. And he doesn't, and, and it's funny because God doesn't say, no, you're not. You've got me. I'm all you need. Um, he goes, no, you're not. There's a group of people over here. And, and they're good. These are good people. These are, right? So you're not actually on your own. And, and, and for me, I, I, like I use that a lot because I think that's a really practical, sensible, nice example of God meeting someone in the midst of a mental illness. doesn't say he was depressed or anything, but I'm sure we could have diagnosed him with something if we... <laughs> if I was there, I probably would have wanted to. Um, right? If he didn't have a pro- problem before he got there, we would have had one when he left. <laughs> I would have created it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I really like that. And so I like that as a church approach to mental illness. Right? I think, again, I think sometimes what we do is we see mental illness as a mental problem. Um, and, like, psychology is... It's about the mind. It's about behaviour, though. Like, I, I spend more time... And a lot of people working in psychology, we spend a lot of time working on people's behaviours. It's not this kind of like messing around in your mind sort of stuff. It's very practical work. And I think that sometimes what we've done historically in the church is we've gone, well, it's to do with the mind. It's the spiritual domain of life. Um, And we've tied it up into that space. Um, And we've treated it differently, therefore. We've said it's a spiritual issue. How do we deal with spiritual issues? We, we approach them with spiritual strategies. Um, what do we do if they don't work? Well, this is where we get into strife, you know. Whose problem is it? Is it God's fault? No, probably not. And so it comes back around and it, it begins to impact on the person, the individual. Um, and so I think, again, seeing mental illness not just as this, this mind-based thing that relates to a spiritual problem, but we're, we're, we're integrated beings. Um, and, and so these things affect us in all the domains of our life. And therefore, as a church, our response should be to integrated people. And that's a piece of it. But sometimes praying for people is kind of, that's what we've got. We do that. But we don't stop there. If that's all we do, that's cheap in my, in my world. Because it doesn't cost me much. Making a dinner, dropping it off, that takes time and energy. Um, making space in my world for you so that I can have a coffee with you and spend time costs me. Relationships cost. And I think that's really what we as the church are called to do. Yeah, that's brilliant. So you were talking about spending a lot of time uh, working with people and behaviours. So do you, is, do you see sin as psychological problem or as a spiritual problem oh wow (laughs) sin's a problem Um, (laughs) um, 
again, if I take what I just said, I think we're integrated beings. So I think it, I, I, I think it affects all of us. You know, like in psychology, my I'm, my brain's pretty simple. Like, uh, you know, I have a, a simple model that kind of thinks. You know, we're we're made up of thoughts and our feelings and what we do and our biology and the spiritual component of us. You know, and you can you can drop a problem in at any point there. You could drop a physical problem into there, and it's like a pinball machine, and just kind of goes ching 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 ching, and tends to affect all those areas of our life. Um, and then sin does the same thing. You know, it, sin at its basic definition, um, you know, doing not doing what God wants us to do, I guess, or something that creates distance from God. That's not good for us. Um, and so our challenge is when we're identifying that in ourselves is to, is to try to manage that. Sometimes that's very behavioural. Um, sometimes it's a thinking process. Um, sometimes it might relate to spiritual disciplines. Um, but again, to lock it into a specific domain of our life I think is problematic. I'm not sure that's how we were designed. And I think it hamstrings us a bit in terms of creating change. So you're approaching your uh, psychological or helping clients, certainly from a worldview, a Christian worldview, by the sounds of it. Do you, um, would that be fair? It, d- it depends I, I, on the client. Uh, well, I, oh, I suppose I, that's where I was going, I suppose. Yeah, it has to depend on the client. Obviously, I've got my belief set, but if I'm working with someone who's not a Christian, uh, like... Uh, professionally to start with mm. I can't I, I'd be in big trouble um, <laughs> if I started evangelizing to my clients um, I may no longer be a psychologist um, but I actually don't mind that uh, because I also know that um, in order to help people I've got to get to know them and I've got to build some kind of relationship with them and, and so my starting point is always to listen as best I can and to suspend judgment and my own filter. Um, and so a lot of my clients probably don't know exactly what I think about stuff because in my head I'm always trying to work out whether that's actually going to be useful or not for you. Now obviously it influences who I am. I can't d- separate myself from that. But I've worked with clients who have different faith beliefs, and we have some in- really interesting discussions around that, partly because I'm interested in how this works. And I have a genuine sense of curiosity, and I want to know how this plays out for you. And, and I want to know if there are areas that are pinch points, and is there anything I can do to help? Um, because I, I don't necessarily see it as my role to say, and by the way, you do know that everything you think is wrong. Um, because often that might stop me from being able to help this person. So uh, should a Christian go and see a non-Christian psychologist? Depends on whether the psychologist is any good or not. Um, It's not that. See, most of the... Every time I try to answer a question in my brain, I'm thinking yes and no and... I, I don't know. Um, so, here's, here's what I would say. I think 
I would say, I look at it in the same way, honestly, that if I was going to have brain surgery, <laughs> would I want a really good brain surgeon or a mediocre Christian one? Not that all Christian brain surgeons are mediocre. <laughs> but how much of that plays into my judgment, right? And so with psychology, kind of similar, except, except, I see a lot of Christians and the, the stuff that's going on for them is, is caught up in their, their belief system and their belief structure. Now, although all trained psychologists are, should be able to work respectfully, it, I think it is helpful, particularly if you're aware that this is having an impact on you around your relationship with God or what God thinks of you or you're dealing with stuff within a church context. It's difficult for someone who doesn't do church to understand what goes on here. They think some of the stuff's crazy, right? So, so I think them having some of that background. Um, and so it's working out what do you think you need, what would be best. Um, the best way to do that is to talk to people about, <laughs> go around and ask people what psychologists they've seen. Um, <laughs> um, well, we've, we've all seen you now, so uh, <laughs> it's a yeah, good starting point. Go find some more. <laughs> no, there's, lots, there's lots of really good psychologists around, um, but it's hard to get that. Again, the, the idea of Ben was talking about vulnerability and stuff, you only get access to that if people are feel safe to actually share their journeys in this space and most people don't. Um, I, I can't think of the last time I was in a church, you know, and, the, and this is all churches where, you know, if somebody's, if somebody's not here because they're battling with cancer or they're battling a physical illness, we're happy to say that. If someone's not here for mental illness, we don't talk about it. You know, I'm not saying that we should just blurt out everyone's stuff. But it's interesting to me because I think we perpetuate this kind of, this is the unspoken stuff. Yeah. And that, the shame, mm. right? Yeah. We're, we're concerned about shame in this. Mm. Um, now, I, like, I've, my, I have my own history with mental illness. Um, and I'm wary of, I, I never want to be one of these people who gets up and just tells my own sob story and, um, <laughs> Because it, it's not, it's such a mild taste of, you know, I, I had my first panic attack when I was sitting in a lecture on panic disorder at university. And so if there's psychologists out here, you can analyse that however you want. But pretty much they described the symptoms, I started getting them. Um, and I had to leave, right? And it, it freaked the daylights out of me. Um, and that started a little pattern of me. I, I deferred uni for a while because I couldn't go back to the I couldn't go back to the lecture theatre. I couldn't. Every time I set foot in the place, my heart would start going up. And as a result, there was a brief moment there also where I had a bit of depression, but pretty mild. I, I know it was mild because I just kind of dipped on the back end of some anxiety. Pretty common pattern. Felt pretty low. What rocked me was. Up till that point, I've been studying this stuff. I thought getting depressed was just really sad. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I had a little taste of what it's like when hopelessness arrives. Yeah. It's not sad. It was nothingness. It was, uh, I remember saying to my father at the time, saying, 
I understand why people kill themselves. <laughs> I get it. I didn't get it before, now I do. Um, it's very different. Um, and so again, for me understanding that this is, these are the things that people deal with, they're very real. They have a significant impact on people's lives. Um, and I don't want people to feel like this is something that you have to keep, you know, be sh ashamed of, because it's just not. Um, and so that's why I'm happy to say, you know, that was my thing. It's, it's pretty mild. I know it's mild. Um, but also know how terrifying it was. Um, and it stopped me doing uni and all this stuff happened. Um, but I got out the other side. I still get a bit anxious sometimes. Um, but I've learned how to manage that. Um, how did you get out the other side? Yeah, well... <laughs> Fortunately, my father is a clinical psychologist. Um, so, so I was like, I don't even know what's happening. You know, what do we do? My parents weren't home. I was freaking out. My sister was like, I don't know what to do. Took me to our GP. He went, I don't, want, I don't know what to do. Here's some tablets, take these. Um, and then Dad kind of said, no, nah, look, mate, this is, this is panic, this is anxiety. You need, you need to go and see someone who does that sort of work. And so we tracked down someone that he knew, and I went, and I didn't like it. I didn't like the treatment, because they were making me do things I didn't want to do. <laughs> um, but I understand why they were doing that, and it was helpful. It was is, helpful. Is, is that part of the process of healing that you actually have to do things you don't want to do? Well, I think in the case of anxiety, it tends to be. <laughs> I mean, anxiety, that fear-based response that comes up that then stops you from doing things because you're worried about having another, you know, anxiety. So it, it works by making you avoid things. Um, and so part of the treatment is to do, do those things so that your brain starts to realise actually it's okay, you're not going to die if you do this. Um, so that was really helpful but the other thing was in that space I was doing stupid things. I was doing great things but stupid things. I was, I was studying, I was, I was working as a school counsellor in a couple of schools I was involved with building project at our church. I was, I was doing music ministry. It was awesome, and everyone kept patting me on the back, going, "Man, you're so good. You're doing all this stuff." And then, wham, bang, panic attack, and I couldn't function anymore. And I look back at that now, and I think, "Oh, Greg, you idiot!" Like if I knew what I knew knew now, I would have said, "You, <laughs> let's just wait. Watch this space, because something is going to happen here." And so again, the way that we deal with a lot of it, I think, is actually looking at the way we do life um, and being prepared to make physical adjustments and physical changes. It's great. Just to circle back to your comment about belief systems. Um, so obviously in a, a faith community like we are here, there's a, a, a strong belief system. Yeah. How impacting is that in terms of the cycle of I don't know is a cycle of shame a thing like yeah. or um, so uh, um, is it is it good is it good for your mental health to be in a relationship with God 
Are Christians psychologically more healthy than non-Christians? Um, I don't... <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'd love to say yes, but I don't think so. But, and I think there's a few reasons for that. I think that mental illness is a bit of a people thing. I don't think it discriminates. Um, and I don't think knowing God is a guarantee against getting ill in life. And anyone that says that to me, I kind of, I'm just like, <laughs> you, I'll, I'll listen to the person who's never ever been sick in their life, but I haven't met that person yet. Um, and then when we look at beliefs and how it's put together, it, it seems to be that the research says, yes, it can be really good, provided on the way you put it together and the shame guilt side of it the I'm a sinner, how horrible am I, how terrible am I? It's almost like which side of the cross do you look at? Do you look at it from the cross is there because it represents what a horrible person I am? That doesn't seem to be overly healthy. It's important, but not to live in that space. And so I think if you're able to look at it on the other side and kind of see that actually what that represents is freedom and grace. Right? I can't tell you the number of times that I'm working with people and it's like trying to pull out this battle between works and grace and am I okay and or not, you know, and is it possible that God's actually okay with me? Um, and so theological perspectives can be helpful. They can also be a massive hindrance. Well, I mean, that was going to be one of my questions about what role does grace play as... In, when you're working with people. Yeah, huge, huge. However, um, if it were as simple as me saying to someone, you know you don't have to think like that, you've been forgiven, feel that grace, boom, um, that would be really nice. It's not. It's not. And, and so there's people out here who... you, you um, It's almost like you... You do that and for a moment you can hold on to it and kind of walk in it and then old patterns creep back in or something in life happens or someone says something and you go back to that. And again, that's because, uh, because we're integrated. You, you, who you grew up with, your parents, your, all of that sort of stuff plays into the way that you think and these are long-term patterns. Um, and, and so... I think we go, this is, our, this is what we want the space to be theologically, you know, this, this space of grace. Um, but getting people to actually understand that or live in that, for some it's easy and for some it's a lifelong journey. Um, trying to get them to be able to contemplate the possibility that maybe God is okay with me. So it's different, it's different for everyone. Oh, wow. I mean, there's some great insights. I have heaps of questions and you're provoking heaps of more, but uh, we probably need to kind of draw it to a bit of a close. So is there anything that you would say to us as a, as a faith community that are really open to wanting to, like, do life better um, with God? Um, but, yeah... <laughs> I think be, you know, be God's hands and feet, you know, like be practical. Don't, when it's a mental illness, treat it the same way that you would any illness. Be practical. Um, don't say to people, oh, I'll pray for you. 
or or be careful and i'm not saying don't pray for people do but that's like a part and and that's the easy part i've got to be honest um so be the hands and feet actually be involved like the model god gave us with moses uh elijah um of actually being practical in terms of the help and i would also say be careful i mean think through your own understanding of what mental illness is if you have a lens that tends to see things like you know i think maybe depression is spirit is spiritual attack then what will come out of your mouth is stuff from that lens um now it may be i'm i'm, I'm like been in Oxford Falls for 14 years I'm not you know like it may be but but what I have seen sometimes is sometimes it is sometimes it's definitely not but if you always approach it in the same way you can mess make things more difficult and so the approach to be to kind of step back and and in my work I assume I know nothing I start from the point of assuming I don't know I don't know you, I don't know your history, I don't know what's actually going on for you yet. So, I, so I'm not going to tell you what to do yet. <laughs> I'm not going to give you advice. That's the lowest form of counselling there possibly is. If it worked, everyone would be fine. There's more than enough to go around. Um, so, so I'm going to hold back on that. Actually, I'm going to ask you, what do you need? What can I do for you? Is there practical stuff? And yes, I'll be praying my guts out for you. Um, but I'm going to have to build some relationship. So being gentle and careful um, and really thinking through the way that we approach people with mental illness um, and being as gracious as we can using that same Elijah model there. Mm, beautiful. So one last thought then about being restored from shame. Do you have any thoughts on how that works? No. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? For some people it's easy. For some it's just super hard. Some of us can do it on our own. Some of us can do it just in relationship with God. Some of us will need to spend a lot of time talking with professionals and unpacking and understanding why our brain is thinking the way it's doing. Um, all the experiences that we've been through. And so when I say I don't know, it's because it's different for everyone. What I do believe is I don't think that we were meant to live in that space. It doesn't seem to bring fruit. Um, and so continuing to free people from that and understanding some people, it's going to be a lifelong journey. It's not a fault thing. It's just everyone's lived different lives. We've had different journeys. Awesome. So tonight you get the opportunity because I know you've probably all got hundreds of questions you want to ask. Um, so in the day crafting your hardest <laughs> questions. That's all. So that, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, there's been some real gold that you've um, brought to us. Thank you so much, Greg. Um, in in conclusion, can I get you to pray for us? Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's pray, Father God. Thank you for community. Um, thank you that, that you don't expect us to do it all on our own, that you never designed us for that. That was never your plan. Thank you that you modelled community for us. Thank you that you're gracious. Thank you that you sacrifice for us. 
And you do that because you love us, you value us. And, and you continually remind us that, that you care about us and you care about me. And thank you for the reminder for me that it's not all about me. Um, that, that my job is to care for others um, and to love others and to help the broken and the hurting. And so God, this morning, just pray that if there's... If there's things that have been said that have kind of just an idea that's stuck in people's minds that you encourage us as a community to help fan that into action, um, into behaviours, into help, into seeking help um, and, and, and moving and trying to grow or even just believing that it's possible that the way things are, don't, they don't have to stay like that forever. Um, God, we thank you that you are a gracious and loving God. And so, Father God, I want to pray a, a blessing over this church that, that, that the leaders and the people here be people who, who walk the talk, um, who deal with shame and guilt in a gentle way, who introduce people to you through their hands and their feet and who bring real life-changing moments through introducing you to them. And also pray today for people who, who are walking a, a life that has significant mental illness, God. We pray for the miraculous. God, we, we know that you can do that. Um, and so we pray for your divine intervention in that space. But equally, God, if, um, if there are others and you've spoken to them here tonight, today and, and it's about actually you've put someone else on their mind um, and you're challenging them to think about what they can do to, to be helpful, Father, I, I pray that those thoughts take root as well. Um, and so thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity. And we thank you for this community. We pray all this in your awesome name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Greg. Why don't you give him a hand? Thanks so much. Wonderful. Looking forward to tonight. <clears throat> so uh, what I would like us to do is receive a love offering to bless Greg and the family. And... Um, just a bit of context as well, I've been working with Greg in my national office role a little bit just because uh, one of the things that we're starting to introduce is psychological assessments uh, for uh, church planters and ministers in our movement um, and we, we're probably a bit behind the eight ball with some of this stuff and that's why Greg's experience and expertise is really, really helpful for us as a movement nationally and so uh, with uh, part of the response to the Royal Commission that happened a couple of years ago is that some of the things that we need to do as uh, Pentecostals is just improve some of these areas and so Greg's been really helpful and instrumental in helping shape some of the pathways and the processes around this which is really really a privilege uh, to be talking to Greg. What I like to do is if I uh, is I like to ask a lot of questions and where, where's Ben Comerford, Ben who was uh, 
Ben's mum is a counsellor. She was she's on staff at Kingscliff Church, and so I would get my free counselling session every other week just by going in and asking questions. I've got this situation over here. How do I have? What do you handle? You know, so almost uh, de facto kind of. Uh, but but I think there's a real value in asking questions and just receiving from people who are trained in these sort of areas. And just because we're Christians, we don't have all the answers. We don't have. Uh, and so, you know, but ultimately, I think, you know, the purpose thing is, well, God's got us here for a reason and a purpose, and it's not to be caught up and bound up in things, but, but to actually, the journey being set free over time is a very real and a powerful one, and uh, it's a privilege to be working with people like Greg uh, and, you know, raising the bar, I suppose, for, for us as a Pentecostal church and, and doing what we can. So... Um, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for Greg and Lauren and the kids. I thank you for their influence in the body of Christ and in our movement. I thank you for them as a family. We pray your protection and covering over them. Lord, we know that they will uh, be on the front line in certain situations and dealing with people. And so we pray your protection over them. We pray, Lord, that uh, as they invest into people, that you would multiply back into their world. Lord, a richness of, of intimacy and relationship with with you and with each other and with their family we thank you for them we pray your blessing upon them in jesus name amen thanks if we can just uh, receive that offering you can do that on tithely as well or if you need a credit card uh, slip just do that wonderful um we have after the service in the back corner there our grow conversations we we actually like to we want you to ask the difficult questions, you know, so why aren't I growing or something like that. Ben will talk you through how to grow hair and, uh, no, no, that's not fair, is it? But, but we actually, some, for some of us, it's like just asking, well, what might be my next step in growth as a Christian or in faith or into church or as a parent, whatever. But we we making opportunities to have those sort of conversations uh, so that's right after the service over there if you are a visitor and you texted in your order that'll be on the table at the back there and uh, tonight at 4:30, we've got greg back again so you can ask your questions of him and uh, that will be awesome so let me just pray father i just thank you for this great congregation of people i pray you would bless our going out and our coming in as we leave this place to live uh, victoriously for you in jesus name amen god bless you have a great rest of the day we'll see you at 4:30. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.